Before we get to this week's episode, I want to take a second to tell you about the Glossy Summit. We'll be in sunny Miami from May 21st to 23rd, tackling the topic that's top of mind for most everyone in the industry, the effect of Amazon on fashion and beauty. It will be an amazing conversation on a real clash of the titans. Hear from speakers like Ali Weiss, the SVP of Marketing at Glossier, and Nadia Bujarwa, the co-founder of Dia & Co. And as a podcast listener, you get special access to a discount code just under Glossy Podcast at checkout to get 10% off your ticket. For more information, visit glossy.co slash events, and I hope to see you there. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy senior reporter, Hilary Milnes, and we are live from the Digiday Retail Summit with Andy Oshran, the CEO of Millie. Hi, Andy. Hi. So you just were chatting on stage at the summit about everything that Millie is doing to get closer to the customer in this new, this new age where brands want direct control over that relationship. It's becoming really important. So can you tell us a little bit about... The background of Millie, when you joined the brand, and we can get into the strategy from there. I joined the brand in uh, 2000. I'm a co-founder of the business. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were when we launched the business, there was really no such thing as e-commerce. Um, the, uh, the way that a, a brand um, was able to um, uh, distribute its products was either through a department store, a specialty store, um, or they'd have to open up their own retail stores. So we elected to choose, or we chose uh, to work through luxury department stores and specialty stores. Mm -hmm. We thought that was uh, um, the easiest and least expensive way to get going. And um, I was fortunate enough to have a partner that had a great luxury background, and and that's how it started. Um, the, The business really grew and took off for many years. And then in 2007, 2008, there was the, financial um, you know meltdown and um, what we recognized at that point was that the department stores um, who were really are the biggest supporters um, when they had their difficulties they were over leveraged over leveraged and they had too many stores and they started cutting back service in the stores um, it had an effect on our brand they changed their marketing strategy because they wanted to be efficient with their marketing spend, and they marketed towards items and not brands. And in a way that hurt our ability to grow from one perspective, but also our ability to bring out our brand ethos, mm-hmm. um, which at the time it still is, you know, feminine, bold, self-actualizing self, um, um, for women. Um, you know, we make clothing, but, you know, that is what we believe our brand really stands for. And... Um, so it was almost an impossible task to be able to do both, to be able to sell and get revenue, cover your expenses, um, and make money and profit, and at the same time, get your brand message out there. So in 2011, we launched, um, we launched, um, we, we launched uh, e-commerce and also our uh, first uh, flagship store in New York City. And from there, um, we thought that we would learn Almost as a um, primary benefit, we would th- we thought that we would learn um, what the customer 
wanted. Mm-hmm. We would be able to interview our salespeople. I, we would have weekly meetings and say, and we could test in the store. Um, and that was like the old fashioned way of what's going on today on e-commerce mm-hmm. um, with um, in- incredible personalization tools and trying to create experiences online that um, entice people to have a great emotional connection to brands. Um, w- we did it old school and those, you know, there are some retailers that um, have the strategy of being so cool that they make you feel uncomfortable coming into a store, but ours is actually the opposite. Actually, we were really trying to engage um, uh, with customers. We had them sit down on a lounge and gave them a beer or a glass of champagne. Um, We had designer uh, um, meet the designer events um, and lots of uh, lots of activity in the store and and partnerships and uh, fun experiences. So th- that's what people are doing today. We we've always done that, um, and now with um, uh, more technology um, and the ability to um, to be ability to really track your customer all over the place and be able to use CRM to personalize not only messaging but also be able to develop product from the from the um, information and data that you can dig deep into. I think it's a different world and, 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 and that's where we are today. The only challenge we have is it's very expensive <laughs> and we still have to remain in the wholesale sector to be able to pay for that. And then you have this balancing act, which we were talking about today, where you, um, where if you're still in that sector, you have to be confronting their problems, um, which means the, the, the traditional wholesalers or retailers problems, which means they are promoting a product because uh, their sales plans are too high and traffic is too low in there and their locations necessarily aren't right or the mall doesn't drive traffic anymore. And so we're stuck with that model, but we need to grow that. We need to, we need that revenue to be able to support really the growth of the e-commerce and we're waiting for that tipping point to happen we we really looking for um geometric growth not not our 15 or 20 percent growth for a business like ours isn't good enough we need more so you know that's who we are today mm-hmm. do you see like is the goal to work to a place where you don't need the wholesale partners anymore and it's and it's all the directly well listen i would i would say this i think that having wholesale distribution in a store like Neiman Marcus mm-hmm. um, is always going to be good, assuming that they're, they fix their model. And, and, and it seems like everyone's on, on cue to start, sort of figure out exactly what's going to be their sweet spot. But so, but, but, so I don't necessarily know I'd give it up, but I would say that if the balance was 40-60, then I think it would be a much healthier business. And if we were able to grow to that organically, um, from an um, e-commerce perspective or even e-commerce slash omni, omni retail, then I think that would be the healthier model. Like, we don't think you necessarily have to give that up, but I think that to be in control and not to be um, subject um, uh, with such low um, um, market power. Right. And, and it seems like everyone's talking about control in terms of designer brands today. Does it... And I feel like you laid out a a great evolution of, you know, you just, back when you started, like, that's just what you did. You sold through department stores, you sold through specialty stores. Um, Today, it's, like you said, it's not easy and it's not cheap. So when you're working with your team, like, are you now like, okay, now you're on the wholesale business and you are working on our direct retail channels? Like, how do you, like, who is in charge of what and does it need to, how do you guys speak to each other? Well, let's, 
Well, when we first started, and it's probably not unusual, um, it seems like there's changes that you read about all the time, but um, we had two separate teams. We had an external sales office and an internal one, but we had an external sales office with um, uh, sales representatives, and we had an internal team depending upon product classification. Um, And then we had a marketing team that was focusing on digital assets and and uh, and traditional marketing assets and PR, um, but they weren't really merged together. So, and the same thing with branding assets. We weren't able to p- position our branding assets with uh, with the department stores. They wanted to use their assets. They wanted to position with their um, creative. And it was really hard because they weren't really telling our story. But we brought the sales team in-house. We can message more consistently to them. Um, when. You know, when they're your employees, instead of working on their own, they, they, they're required to. Um, and if they make a mistake, they could lose their job. Whereas mm-hmm. before, um, mm-hmm. they made a mistake. That was all it was. Um, <laughs> they just a little bit of fear. <laughs> right, a little bit. But, you know, also, it's, it's more about um, just giving them the opportunity to absorb it and be part of it, less, less than fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the assets, that's evolving also. Um, I think that the department stores are recognizing, number one, that, you know, um, brands that are multi-channel are producing beautiful assets mm-hmm. and they're really expensive to make and why not leverage that? Um, I think that was such, you know, shooting product was pro- is probably their largest expense. So if we're able to actually do beautiful imagery for them, then it helps us also. It, it gives us um, gives the consistency in brand message. Right, a more distinct brand. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned you your hope was that when you started selling on e-commerce and in direct retail stores that you would learn more about what the customer wants. And so, did that has that happened? Do you know how do you know what do you know about your customer today that you didn't know when you first started? Um, we know there we know that our our, our um, customer uh, breakdown, our age is pretty much split between the 24 to 34, um, 34 to 45, and f- 45 to 55 cohorts. We know that. They each represent 24% of our revenue. Mm-hmm. But what we've learned over the last number of years is that the interest in our brand in the lowest cohort, 24 to 34, is probably 32 or 33% at last check. So we're seeing that information through CRM and we're seeing that information through a little bit of data research. And that inspired us um, to um, uh, think about price point mm-hmm. and um, and say, well, what would happen if we could sell um, Millie at um, $295 instead of $400? Um, and could we develop product at a similar quality with similar materials and go direct to consumer, like uh, Reformation or Everlane or one of the brands that are doing that successfully today and growing fast? Um, and so. Uh, we took the idea that that's something possible, that we had a strong enough design team that we could separate that out and um, and um, design product and offer that and test it. We're not going to go crazy because we don't know what's actually going to happen. We, we certainly would be concerned if, to, that it would cannibalize our business. But actually, since they're the millennial um, uh, cohort is interested in our brand, it could be an entry point. We also have an entry point um, with the younger customer, because we have a children's collection, that was one of the reasons we did it. And it started out as a small young children's collection. Then it, we realized that, oh no, it's the it's the 10, 11, 12 year old girl that likes the product because she's seeing her mother and she's understanding the fashion. And now we realize it's a tween customer that's really the biggest. So as we continue to grow that, so it's just an entry point to our brand. And I think that having a, a sweeter price point that's attainable um, and, and, and at a similar quality, it could 
I'm crossing my fingers, but I think it could really be an enormous um, blessing for our business. Right, and that hasn't launched yet. Well, it will launch in um, second quarter. Yeah, that's that's really exciting, and it seems like it's a smart approach for for a designer brand today. But it's also interesting because we've looked at like diffusion lines and like those kind of declined. Like, how are you making sure that? It, you, and you know, you said it yourself, like you don't want to cannibalize the brand. So how do you do it in a way that that, it, that won't happen? Um, I think we're going to message differently. I think we're going to use uh, personalization and CRM to actually target um, that age group mm-hmm. um, and do that at first to see if what the interest is. Um, I think ultimately... Um, the other cohorts will be interested in the product also, but I think that's where we're going to start. Um, Does data play a role in the design process itself? Um, at this moment in time, we, we're not using machine learning or artificial intelligence to like re-engineer our, our products like um, Stitch Fix, um, but that's something we would shoot for. We do it more old-fashioned. Um, we can see what's selling. We re- analyze our selling reports, and we see what components are the... the uh, the common components. So if it's a dress, we know that the larger audience likes uh, fit and flare off their hip and it's not going to be so fitted and they're going to have a sleeve and it's going to be a certain length. We know that and that's consistent and we can then test that by looking at information and data and then we can actually market to the customers and test that again um, through um, you know personalization tools. Right. And, and I, I think the relationship between the designer and the CEO at, at Designer Brands today is, is really interesting. So how do you and Michelle work together to, you, you know, kind of do exactly what you said? Um, well, her office is on the other side of the, of the, of the, of the floor. She's on the, uh, she's on the 8th Avenue side and I'm on the 7th Avenue side. But, you know, she has a team that she works with um, and um, they're all talented and she's very talented. And I think where, where it comes together is looking at the merchandising. I don't get involved in what the next trend is gonna be. And I don't get involved in looking at, you know, is that um, specific silhouette or style the, per, the, the, the right one? Um, that's Michelle's responsibility and that's what she's really good at. Um, but bringing the data back, working with the merchandisers, say, um, sitting down at a weekly meeting, looking at the digital data as well as the bricks and mortar data, and also talking to sales associates that talk and interview people on the floor. Um, I think that putting all that data together, I do that. I do that every Wednesday morning with my team, and then we can bring that back. And then it's written in reports, and um, it goes back to Michelle, and, uh, and and we meet and discuss that and how that influences the next collection. So it's probably no different than most other retailers do it, but that's how we do it. Right. And we, we talked about this earlier, but she has a, a great social media presence. And so are you, are you using that to almost boost the brand, get it in front of the younger customer that, that you're um, appealing to right now? We have. So... Um, primarily, um, we use Instagram for that tool. There are other social tools out there that others use more, like, um, I guess, YouTube and Snapchat, but really, and, and Pinterest, if they consider themselves that. But um, in the end, we're, Michelle's been focusing on, on Instagram, and um, in, in combination with organic posting and stories and using video and th- all the things that you're supposed to do on Instagram, um, we um, are advertising. It's a big. It's actually um, the middle middle of the funnel um, sort of um, investments that we're talking about. We shifted really away from our print advertising campaign and put it all there. We're driving lots of 
um, engagement already, and we just we want to be able to leverage that and sort of convert. So, yeah, are you able to? I think you know at the summit we're hearing everyone say like. Facebook and Instagram are kind of useless for for attribution uh, and, and figuring out where sales are are coming from from social. Yeah, I think that it depends what your KPI KPIs are, but um, um, engagement's important and traffic's important. Ultimately, um, I think you're able to really see um, from stories. Um, or if you're, we have a Magento platform, so it's not as easy, but depending upon your platform, I think you're able to see more of the data um, about um, um, what's, what's happening on static Instagram. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I'm sure, it was, it's, I'm sure it's going to evolve, but, but directionally we see if we move from 50,000 followers to 100,000 followers and the engagement rate increases. And we're looking at engagement and follower and movement and what images that they like. Um, every single day. Um, right. It just feels like, yeah, having a, even if you can't make full sense of, of the data today, like having that strong social presence is, is really key, especially as you're focusing more on the direct customer relationship. Um, so how does speed play a role in, in the new strategy that you're navigating? Um, you mean to market speed? To market speed, uh, just how frequently products are released throughout the year. Um, it just seems like Brands are kind of torn between this idea of simplifying their collections, uh, getting getting rid of like the excess clutter, but at the same time, they know that customers are conditioned to newness and they they want more collections throughout the year. So, how do you deal with that? Well, that's a good question. Um, we're positioned in the contemporary market, so we're sort of the anomaly. We deliver collections every month, so we were always delivering collections every month. They're very broad collections, um, and I think that when we do our millennial uh, collection that we described earlier, I think we will have, we'll drop it much more frequently. Like even if we do eight or 12 SKUs, we'll, we'll start off probably dropping two or three or four so that there's a, uh, that there's, um, we're keeping people hungry for what's next. Um, but as, in terms of time to market, um, it, it hasn't really affected us so much because of the business model that we're in. But if people do need to buy and are going to insist on buying closer to need, it's going to definitely affect our, you know, the time and action scheduling, taking inventory ourselves, and being able to be prepared because we actually manufacture in the United States still. So it, it that helps. Yeah, that helps a little bit in, the, in terms of manufacturing, but then you still have to have the materials. Right. And yeah. so right now, what what's it like from from design to sales floor? Six months. It's not that bad. Overall, it's not bad for ordering the materials, but you know, but when we because the materials we're buying our materials in Europe so that there's mm-hmm. a, there's a relatively long lead time and the market and, and, and ordering time but um, uh, on in the chasing part of the business if we see something that's strong whether we we see that from actual sales or we see that from um, you know um, um, crowdsourcing or um, um, pre-selling feedback we mm-hmm. can turn product in a week in a, in a month Two to three weeks sometimes. Okay, yeah, that's, So we can do that. So if we see something's great mm-hmm. um, and we know that something's positioned nicely, let's say we, we post things on Instagram we see this, um, and we're seeing consistently that, um, um, that there's engagement, then we can perhaps um, uh, um, hold some of that fabric and the materials and then we'll go ahead and manufacture it once we get the data that's actually coming, the selling data. Right. And, and so when you're on like this monthly cadence of, of releasing new collections, where does Fashion Week fit, in, fit into your strategy? I know Millie has had a presence. Um, have you guys done full runway before? Is it mostly like presentations? No. We, we've done full runway f- uh, for 
think 15 years now. Um, And uh, that's two shows every year, spring and fall. And we also have done resort shows as well. Um, But the last couple of years, we've done presentations. And it's and the reason is, I think people tire of shows, and who's coming to the shows is different. It was it, at one point, it was all about getting the um, publishers and um, senior editors to sit in the front row, and I think that that's sort of been displaced a bit by influencers and bloggers. And um, so the formality of that is 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 not the same. And, and that wasn't as appealing to you as a brand originally it was but now we want to be a bit more modern Mm -hmm. and we want you know that experience you know fashion shows are fun but you know there's so many in new york city going on at the same time it it always felt that you know people were rushing from one to the other like ricochet rabbit and Mm -hmm. and um and they weren't necessarily enjoying the experience. I think when we started doing presentations, we did a, I, th- I think it was somewhat a unique presentation. We did a, a quasi, a hybrid of a runway show, a short runway show and a presentation, which I think was very effective. We did it in a big presentation space. We were able to have customers, uh, we were able to have, not customers, but influencers and interested people and editors and customers come and um, um, see a runway show that was, um, um, produced with music and with beautiful models and styled properly, but at the uh, but at the same time, at the conclusion of that, we were able to have a static presentation and people could see that, and we were able to run that three times. Whereas, and then so if people were running late, they didn't have to skip it, or if people, um, you know, you, you know, sometimes uh, people run late and you know they 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 bother not coming or they wait in line, they think that there's a show, so. I think this one worked out very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, you know, we're coming off of Fashion Week, um, still during Fashion Month, and we're hearing so many different perspectives from from designers. Some are saying they would never give up the runway show; it's the best way to display the clothing that they worked so hard on for so long. And others are saying, like the presentation, people can spend more time talking to the designer, talking to the team, and actually getting up close to the clothes. Um, so, so it kind of feels like everyone's all over the place. But do you feel like does that? make a difference in your strategy? Is it just more kind of like everyone for themselves? No, I, I think that doing something new and different always creates more um, media media interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of what we're interested in. We've talked a lot about Instagram. We've talked about social. And um, the influencers like it. It gives them an opportunity to take pictures of the product. Right. Um, I, it's, truthfully, Michelle would probably prefer to have the show. I think that uh, I think she likes being able to show a formal presentation. She loves editing and uh, working on the music. That's important and styling of it. I think she likes that too. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the, you know, there's a message there as well. So I think that um, uh, I think that having that all of those um, parts of the composition allow her to be able to express her artistic part of it. So I think that it's not just only about the clothing. So. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was in September. Um, you had the pop up in Soho. How did that? How did that do for you guys? Oh, right, it was like around Fashion Week, so you had the presentation yeah. and you could buy clothes there, and it and it stuck around for a little bit. Is that right? It stuck around for for nearly six months. Oh, wow. um, so it was a pop up slash test store mm-hmm. for that for that area and location. That was a great one because we. Um, it was a similar thing. We, we had a launch party. We had that. Uh, we had models, but they were more static, different from this past one I described. Um, and people loved the party. And and we had 
um, fixed display that we used for those six months that the store was up. And um, people loved taking pictures in it. And there were rainbows and there were gazebo. And, you know, we were driving lots of traffic there and interest in our brand. It was, mm-hmm. it was, became a brand awareness tool. I wish it would, I wish it would have been more of a conversion revenue tool because right. <laughs> uh, then we would have been able to open up the store in Soho more easily um, with justification. But, you know, I think from the marketing perspective, we actually took that show budget out of our marketing budget as, as opposed to a retail budget. And, you know, we got this, we got many, many more impressions um, for the same investment. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, it was good. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, though, that, just like thinking about it a little bit differently, it's like, oh, it was a success from that angle. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, so, and, 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 you know, you mentioned influencers, how they're shifting the, basically the perspective from which fashion is being filtered out to, to the general public. Um, is that something you guys have embraced? Like, do you work, do you do paid influencer partnerships? Is it mostly like not informal partnerships? No, I think we, do, we have someone dedicated in our very small team mm-hmm. that <laughs> focuses just on influencers. Right. Um, and, um, uh, we are trying to cult- cultivate, um, uh, um, uh, a group of influencers that, organically like the brand that doesn't mean that there's not some form of uh some form of uh you know support uh, from the brand but um really we're trying to to find those people that are that are most interested that so it feels natural and i think that um when it feels natural to the influencer and when the when the pictures are natural um we know from the facebook data that you know People engage with that more, mm-hmm. and we and we test that all the time. And you can see even from our, our latest advertising um, can, campaign, um, you know, women doing whatever they want. Um, mm-hmm. That component of it, um, it, the photography style that Michelle chose um, was it, it was very it looked very natural. It, it looked like um, or it looks like you might not have seen it. Um, it looks like someone did it. Of themselves, it could have almost been um, photography that someone had done on their own on their own uh, mobile device. So, you know, all of those come, things come into play. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, right? And, and so, you are seeing positive results from from working with this group. Yes, absolutely. We're seeing well. Again, we're seeing greater engagement. Mm-hmm. We're seeing many more followers. Um, we're seeing some um, revenue that we can track going into stories from stories mm-hmm. d- directly onto our site. Static. Tracking is not as easy today, right. but again, like we see the directional pull and we know that, that if we keep get, getting at it and we continue to advertise to the cohort and we're able to figure out who that group is and then continue to advertise, I think that we'll definitely get the revenue in the future. But at today, like, you know, my mantra is like bottom of the funnel because we need the revenue, but you know, this, and, and, and that's part of the problem also with constrained resources. We know that we want to focus bottom of the funnel, but at, at the same time, um, we know we have to build awareness and doing it organically through Instagram is a good one, particularly if you have a great asset like Michelle. Right. And you also had the um, Michelle Obama dress, yes. of course. You're so excited to talk about it, yes. I'm sure. Um, so she was wearing a Millie dress, and you you were saying that it, that just sent impressions and, and like yeah. traffic to the site skyrocketing. So, so Michelle Obama... Um, was a big fan of a lot of American designers. She was a wonderful individual from that perspective. And um, Michelle is a young designer and a and a, um, a young woman that uh, was uh, and is interested in uh, equality and uh, and and fairness. Um, uh, Mrs. Obama supported Michelle, and over the last year, um, uh, Michelle. Um, 
Obama wore a lot of Millie clothing on her last, she and the president's last cover story. Uh, she was photographed in Millie, and, and, and in the last day, day and days, um, photographs from the White House um, when they were leaving and packing up, she was wearing Millie. And so what we heard was that there was a chance mm -hmm. that she may select something for this, the, for the, um, the Smithsonian um, Institute's um, um, commissioned portrait and you know so we were excited but those things those those things you hear that and and, and most of the time it doesn't really happen mm -hmm. um, we are fortunate enough because of all the dressing to be invited to the, the Obama's last White House party which was amazing and That's we talked awesome. about it and that gave yeah it was awesome and we um, and we um, got more hints from the stylist that maybe that we were real that was really gonna happen and then really it was a year later like wow and I don't know um, we didn't get any sort of heads up. heads up at all. All of a sudden, Michelle was in Paris, and you know, I'm, there was chatter in my office. I was in my it was in my office doing something completely different, and we and wow, look what happened. And yes, and within two days or two and a half days, we received close to two billion media impressions, wow. which is incredible. Yeah. And I, that had a that had a big effect on uh, people driving to our um, to our website and and making purchases and mm -hmm. um so that was a good thing so if that would have happened before you launched e-commerce it, it would have disappeared right they right. would have been a yeah. you know maybe some person might have found it on neiman marcus but yeah but now we got to actually because of personalization tools and crm we actually get to capture those people and then we can re um we can re-message to them mm -hmm. and hopefully um we can make them long-term um, customers of millie right yeah. The Michelle Obama effect. <laughs> it's the Obama effect, right. Um, so so going ahead, what's your, you know, it sounds like you guys are doing a ton with a very small team. You said it's what, six, seven people plus you and Michelle? Uh, no, our, our organization? Yeah. No, we have That's right. we have close to 80 employees. Okay. Um, but just the marketing team. Oh, okay, the marketing, the marketing team. team. That is, makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah. this is not oh, yeah. adding up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Um, no, no. So... Our marketing team is tight. We have um, we have someone that's really um, the nexus between traditional marketing um, that works on the team, um, and then we have uh, someone that focuses really on influencer engagement. Um, we have someone that dives into the data and an analyst. Um, we have a CMO. We have uh, a newly hired director of e-commerce. We have someone that works on all the graphics, constantly working with Michelle. We have a web production person who also focuses on Instagram and does casting and, 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 and helps at the at the shoots and you know and a merchandiser also that's taking all that information and trying to relay that back to them so that they are creating the right images and making sure that the advertising campaign has things that actually can convert. Right. And so so still eighty people, that's that's a relative that's a small team. Relatively small. Bigger than six or seven though. And yes. uh, <laughs> six or Seven. So, where, what's what's next as you're so this this new collection's coming out soon, um, and you're focusing more on, on direct sales. So, what is that? What's ahead? Where are you going to make hires in, in strategic places? What are you? What's your next priority? Uh, the, the next priority is um, in market. We're in market today on the, on the collection that we just presented at the fashion shows we were talking about. But from a strategic from a strategic perspective, I think that the, that direct to consumer business that I described, um, I think that that's a big initiative. Um, the continued um, convergence of um, of the of all the assets and make them more omni so that um, we're, we're telling one constant story. I think that that's important. And, and, um, 
and yeah, so I think that those are the those are the the, the ones that are important right now. Great. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you very much. We'll probably <laughs> thank, need it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sitting with me okay, thank and you. chatting. And okay. thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have. <laughs>